Before we launch into this episode, I'd just like to tell you a wee bit about our next guest. His name is Stuart Cochran. Some of know him as DJ Scooby, some of may not even know him at all. But this guy's a legend, and the story he's going to tell us today <laughs> is unbelievable. This is his story. If you've been lucky enough to read his book, Scooby, The Glory of the Ride, or watched his documentary that was made for him in BBC Scotland, you'll know a wee bit about what's ahead. If no, sit back and enjoy the ride. Also, just to mention, hope you get your tickets for 1994 Family Fun Day on the 6th of July and also 1994 Sounds of Eden on the 31st of August. Now, back to the show. Right, so we're back. Yes, back for another episode. <laughs> finding, finding amazing people to talk to and I have got the legendary DJ that you've no heard about. That's it, that's it. <laughs> DJ Scoobs. Scoobs, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? All right, hey, you I'm... You can look at me, you don't need to look at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Scooby. Uh, I've been the DJ that nobody's heard about because I was on the wee documentary last week. Uh, I'm... I'm really glad to be here. Aye. And uh, I was just saying before we came in here, normally when when we were doing things in music in the past, we'd have brought copious amounts of cannabis, but I brought two fruit scones. And they were amazing. <laughs> well, the way for Barnabas and Coffee Shop. <laughs> big up. Big up, big plug there. Aye. So it's, it's great to, I feel really blessed to be here and I don't know what we're going to talk about, we'll get a chat anyway. Aye, well, we're just going to talk about your journey through music because... Yeah. It's having read your book. <laughs> no, but it's it's just this show. I've just been inviting guys along that have been in the scene to talk about their journey through music, and yeah. uh, I, we've crossed paths for back in the day, but never yeah. actually had a chance to sit down and talk yeah. until you know you were doing your documentary. And but I always knew, and I'd heard whispers about. This guy Scooby man, he's he's here, he's there, he's mental, he's done this, he's done that, and then getting a chance to meet you, and and reading actually reading your book before I even yeah, nah, that's spoke right, yeah. to you, I just thought you need to come on the show, and what better place to start than the start? That's where it is. Yeah. As a young Scooby, <laughs> what was what was like the first time you were aware of music? Yeah, I was really lucky because I was when I was a kid at the the village that I stayed in in Barnaburn, There was a youth club, and um, one day the DJ didn't turn up. Now I was just a young young kid. What and kind that, of ages are we talking? I'm talking about ten or eleven, as, as young as that. Right. Yeah. And that was my opportunity. The the woman that ran the youth club says, "Do you want to try it, Stuart?" Because she knew that I really liked music, and I can remember that was my first chance at DJing, and it blew me away, and it was. It was like a wee foul deck and there was nothing there at all. There was a microphone, a couple of records, but it was like the Starship Enterprise, man. Aye. And I loved it. And, and I can remember, I didn't make people dance that night, 
but they were nodding their heads and I thought maybe something <laughs> in this here right? and it was just a selection of records it was in the youth club sort of thing it was the youth club's records yeah. eh? uh, so 10, 11 years old getting the bug and 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 really thinking wow that was it and then a wee bit later on um, I was the vice captain of the school believe it or not uh, and what that meant was that the captain the vice captain the school had a mobile disco and first second third fourth and fifth years the the captain the vice captain got to do the school dances so uh, that was kind of like my second introduction to it as well so between the youth club and the school dances I was I was getting quite busy at it and getting quite good at it as well but that is bizarre how these things were sort of just opportunities that arose yeah, it yeah. wasn't like you were like try to look for these things to happen that just came to you yeah yeah and and being at the right place at the right time aye. you know so uh, which is something that seems to have happened to you <laughs> <laughs> all throughout your life aye aye but I was I was really grateful for that opportunity and and, and always music's been such a, a big part of me you know at one point through my illness later on I, I threw music at my life for 12 years just stopped listening to it I, I blamed music on the illness eh? um, and one of the things I had to do when I started seeing my partner she says and the very first thing she said to me was you need to get back into your music and um, I did I went back to, to work with Andy eh? uh-huh. um, and everybody was terrified oh no here we go he's kind of gone well again uh-huh. but it was a bit thinking that might have been yeah, a trigger yeah, point a trigger, or something big trigger eh? but it's always been there for me music music was was there and I was always kind of I think that gave me an education early on uh-huh. as to as to how to do it you know I was kind of a wee bit ahead all the time getting there and I love what I'd done then was there any sort of tracks when you were young that made you think that's am- you know that's amazing like, we've all got tracks where like, you just listen to the record play the- back to the start again was there any any tracks when you were younger that just took it for you me I need to- I've been dreading this conversation <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought you know when I was you know a few years ago you know would somebody ever ask me this but uh, <laughs> I have to admit that the first record that I ever bought as a kid was Benny Hill Ernie the fastest <laughs> one in the <laughs> West <laughs> and that's my credibility <laughs> that you know, wouldn't you do but anyway <laughs> and here it is the 12 inch mix <laughs> <laughs> that was a brilliant tune but wasn't it <laughs> um, so Benny Hill, Ernie, the fastest bunk man in the way. And I always used to hang, she's my thirties, not please don't let him ask me that. But, uh, so there you go, I've, I've, I've let it out of the bag. But again, it was, I mean, it was so much more than a record. It was, it was, it was like a comedy sketch. It was, you're relating it to the Benny Hill sketches yeah. and all that. Can you remember any likes? <laughs> Can I remember any of the links? <laughs> Two time test from Teddington. <laughs> Two-ton test from tearing and that tickled old Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, mega. Oh. <laughs> Can I talk about another one? <laughs> <record? laughs> what was on the B-side of that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, the next record I'm going to talk to you about, the, the B-side, and it was amazing. You asked some early records that really inspired uh-huh. me. 
There's a dance record I'll talk about in a wee minute, but a, a, a record that really did inspire me was a band called The Skids in the Valley. Uh-huh. And I always thought that was the bass line, the best bass line I'd ever heard in Skids in the Valley. But in the B-side of The Skids in the Valley, there was a song called TV Stars. Mm-hmm. And all I'd all I done was Richard Jobson for the Skids just shouted for two minutes about Coronation Street. Right, right. Albert Tatlock, Ina Sharples, Annie Richardson. That's <laughs> what, what, just doing a bass line? Sort no, of no, no, just shouting about Albert Tatlock. Right. Albert Tatlock, Annie Richardson. <laughs> Albert Tatlock! <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, I think... But see, like, the Skids, they were yeah. like a really... They were really out there, weren't they? They, they were like early punk, or were they... Early punk, I, yeah. Bizarrely, um, I was aware of the skids, right? And it wasn't until I bought that Richard Jobson's an author. Yeah. And I actually bought a book he put out called, um, I think it was called Speed of Sound. I'm a big Bowie fan. Right. And it's based on aliens coming back to Earth and f- through Bowie's music. Yeah. And finding and going through Bowie's life. It's yeah. an absolutely amazing book. And, um, then I, I realised it was by the guy Richard Jobson, who's yeah. he's done films and all that as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. But he was a he was a good looking guy as well. Was he? They came from Dunfermline, the skids, and into the valley is actually a song about fighting in Dunfermline. Uh-huh. There's a place in just outside Dunfermline called High Valley Field. Right. So into the valley was the Dunfermline boys going into in the there. valley to, to to do that. So, uh, but the baseline on on into the valley for me was just sheer power. Man. Uh-huh. And is that like I used to look? Are you a teenager then, just just latching onto that madness kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. The energy. 14, 15 at the Uh time, eh? And thinking, wow, this is something else, eh? So you're buying a lot of records and stuff, are you you always spending pocket money and building up a wee collection? Well, what what was really cool, what happened after that, when I was 15, I got a job in a place called the Tam Do, which is in Bannerburn, which is a pub, a lounge and a function suite. And my first job that I'd done in the function suite was I was collecting glasses um, and there was a wedding one night and collecting when they were collecting glasses and um, they, were, they used to do meals and that as well eh? and uh, I was helping with the tables and t- t- the, the, getting the plates and all the rest of it. Anyway, I spoke to him at a super the bride's dress, eh? <laughs> so, they, so they had to get me another job. And one week the DJ didn't turn up at the time, do, uh, so I got a job doing the DJ. And get I, you in the corner out of the way. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it was brilliant. Tam, Tam Cole, bless his soul, just passed away. He was so good to me. He got all the gears, you know, it was a mobile disco kit, got all that in. I had free reign as to buy whatever records I wanted to buy. Probably. I had a free account with that as well. He bought me a, a Lindrum, you know. Aye. Boo, 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 Aye. Boo. Used to go mental every night with a Lindrum, you know, just for a 15-year-old lad to do all these things. He used to he used to bring me through to the bungalow barn in Paisley as well. Wow. To, to watch live bands. Uh-huh. And, and He's really it. took you under his wing, sort of thing. Aye. And... Uh, and then what he did was was really cool. He, he was he was going to upgrade to the next step. He was putting video in before MDLs had video. Uh, he was buying a Mat Amp, mixing desk, Technics SL twelve hundreds, really doing it right. And about a week before the place is due to open, I have a really bad argument with him, telling him to stick his place up his backside. He's no moving, and I'm no moving, and. Uh, 
and that was it. So I didn't get my, my brand new place. Aye. But within a couple of weeks, there was a place next door called McHugh's, and I started in there. To, to spite him as well. <laughs> it was, was kind of like Celtic Rangers right, down right. doing McHugh's. They, they were civil to each other, but they they, they, they knew that there was a real rivalry. Aye, there. aye. But I, su- I suppose sometimes that was maybe good because it kept the two of them on the top of their game, you know, always pushing forward to try and be like the best as and try to get the best DJs, best music, best decor, sound. The, the, the time do was for the kids. Right. Know, that was for the kids and the young team. You know, they were they were listening to, you know, early punk, um, bands like Magazine and, mm-hmm. you know, the Stranglers and all that kind of stuff as well. Eh? And they were listening to that. We had Next Door, it was a more grown up crowd at McHugh's. Right. Uh, they were listening to but a jazz funk at the time, some really cool disco. Uh, and that's where I got my chance to, to, to go into with the growing up really and see what they were listening and playing. And is that when your kind of love for disco started then, listening definitely, to all that? Definitely, yeah. But I mean, we're also talking 80s here as well, weren't we? When yeah. disco was just like yeah. taking over the world. Yeah, yeah. And there were some amazing disco records, things that have never really been heard of, mm-hmm. you know, things, you know, I, 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 I know the disco movement that's going through and some it's really good and that, but there's some things I'm like, wow, you know, you should be getting these played. Eh? It's it's the if you can I think of the full disco era when they were they were you know the twelve inch thing was very much alive and they were pumping these things out. There was if you think a lot of, you probably obviously know these are maybe the ones you're talking about the the records that weren't they the commercial successes yeah. but they were just floor Quality. fillers stompers yeah. man. Yeah. It's, it's all they had. There must be like, must be like a northern soul movement almost in disco. Try to find yeah. those forgotten gems, kind of thing. There was a, there was, a, there was a thing. It was a guy called Tony Cochran. Don't do you know? Aye, aye, I know Tony. Tony used to run this thing. It was his, it was his cousin or his one of his family, and it was called the best disco in town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was filmed at STV in Cowcarden years ago. And Tony used to tour all the clubs. Yep. And pick the best dancers for each disco and put them on in the telly and that. And oh, right, right. That's how Tony got one of his first breaks, eh, we we doing that. I didn't know that. Huh? Because I created... I'm going to tell you loads of things. I, I know, though, this is, this is great about the chat. Because I, I, I always credited Tony for, also when the dance explosion came in, that's when I was like a teen going out. I, I, I later found out that it was him that was getting all these acts and touring them all across like the clubs that I'd be attending yeah. and you'd be going... Oh, it was amazing. I seen them and them and them, and, and you trace it back, and it was Tony who brought them to Scotland and then yep. done the circuit with them. But what you don't know about Tony, Tony also ran a thing called the Scottish Soul Society. And what he would do, uh, but this is in the seventies when uh-huh. the Northern and that was coming up. The all nighter was a golden ticket to get an all nighter. You could you could do it really well. So Tony would have just made on a northern soul kind of vibe. Then yeah, with he, he started with the northern stuff, eh? And jazz funk as well. He, he had all nighters mm-hmm. with that. Um, and what he do? He'd go to Dundee, for example, and approach the council. And there's no way that the council was going to gain uh, all night licenses to MD. But Tony used to go as the Scottish Soul Society. And it sounds very upbeat and, you know, very posh. <laughs> very uh, big and uh, grandiose. Uh, exactly. 
Scottish Soul Society applying for a applying for a license. Not a problem. <laughs> and he'd done that for years, man. <laughs> Scottish Soul Society. It was just one guy. <laughs> and, and I tell you another about at that time when the disco and all that was coming out as well. In order to get a late license, not even an all night license. Because pubs and clubs are shutting it. Early doors in it, like so of a clock, one o'clock sometimes. But in order to get a late license, you had to do food. Uh-huh. You know, she had to do scampi in a basket or a slice of cheese and a bit of crisp. <laughs> that was deemed as food. You had to share food. A finger buffet. Uh, so that that was part of getting your late night license uh-huh. as well. Eh? That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. All these wee hoops you had to jump through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you seen? Was you going to some of these all nighters or these early? So what all nighters are? I didn't go to the, nor- the northern stuff. That that was in Wigan. Uh, they were they were all going to Wigan at the time. But I was going to there was a place in Stonehaven called the Commodore Hotel, mm-hmm. um, and I used to go there sometimes. That was a jazz funk thing, and it was brilliant. You, you would drive up the Aberdeen Road, but back in the day then. You know, it's not the dual carriage where it was then. It's a single track road. Right. And you're through all the wee villages and all that. But what would happen was everybody went to Stonehaven, Bathgate, uh, Falkirk, Stirling, Dunfermline, everywhere. But on the night of the the all nighters that were coming on up there, the, the jazz funk all nighters. Every chemist in every tune used to get tanned <laughs> to get the blues. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, the Dexys Midnight Runners. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're seeing like, these early all nighters and you're getting into disco. Are you slowly? Are you still? Are you? Are you? Are you just building your craft as a DJ? There? Are you? Are you? Are you seeing the influx flux of the mere disco sound? That four four beat. Are you slowly seeing some kind of change on the dance floor? Or? I had kind of like a, a mentor, a guy called Fraser Hodgkiss. Uh, Fraser was kind of the older big brother who, who looked after me from a DJing point of view. Uh, and I, I got into that whole, whole disco bit and, and it was great to get in there. Um, so between 78 to 80 was, was a real movement in disco. But in 1981, there then was a turn in, in music. Um, and, and the turn, you know, one of one of the probably the biggest records that was turning it a wee bit was Blue Monday, and that was, Aye, was amazing. That was New Order. But then all the new romantic stuff was coming out. But there was 12 inch remixes of the new romantic yeah, yeah. stuff as well, which was really nice, you know. And it's all heavy synth laden stuff yeah, music, yeah. And was that. Did you find yourself that was the stuff you were kind of drawn to, and that was what was making up majority of your sets? So what, what was what was beautiful about what I was doing? It was really eclectic with what I was playing. That the crowd was mixed, you know, so I could play real quality dance music, and then I could play a cramps record mm-hmm. as well, you know, aye, aye. which is like psychobilly, uh-huh. get away with it, or I could play, I don't know, I could play, play Sister Sledge, then after that I could play New Order or. Yeah, you know, yeah. I really believed in mashing it up. Eh? Uh-huh. Just keeping it different, sort yeah, of right. Keep keeping it interesting, eh? Should we? Should we? Are you got maybe a track for then that we could? Yep. Lock in and we we'll play that and then come back and pick up the chat. Sure, no problem. What What are you thinking for that era? Disco. I was thinking about disco as a, a disco track, and this was a great. It was a great memory for me. It was the first time I went to McHugh's. Uh, it was a staff party. And a guy who was my an icon to me when I was younger was up there. It was a private party in the place, um, 
and they were playing this record at the time and he was just standing having sex with a, a speaker and I heard this <laughs> record and it always stuck with me and I thought I want a bit of that so the record's called Jackie Moore this time baby brilliant okay
track you look forward to playing after that moment sort of thing you're like I can't wait to play this yeah I had to get it and, and I think there's there's moments in your life where music you're just like wow it's a time and a place Aye. and that was a time and a place eh? so it's, it's mad isn't it? I suppose everybody even like, people listening you know there, there is musical milestones through your your entire life yeah and uh, again just that's how people can go oh I heard that and it just took me back to that place so when you're listening to that that takes you back to that staff party and that yeah yeah, mega and see when you're when you're playing that kind of music is you know are you watching obviously as the music's changing are you watching the crowd changing with how they respond to the music sort of thing are, are you not even thinking about that then the, the, the place the, the place McHugh's that I was telling you about it was it was a brilliant wee place. It wasn't just one type of person. It was it was dead interesting, mm-hmm. you know. They were coming for different things, like indie kids were there, disco kids were there, and and that's what I felt. That's where I learned my craft. About I wasn't afraid to take a chance, you know. I would quite easily play throw something in, and if it cleared the floor, I didn't care. Aye. You know, I wasn't playing it safe all the time. Yep, yep. I didn't believe in playing it safe. Uh, Equally, you, you know the crowds that mixed. You, you know there's going to be maybe like if you, you're saying indie kids, you know you've got the opportunity to play yeah. indie music because you're keeping that selection happy as well. But I, I think the other thing you know as well that, that it was important to take a chance. And if if you did take a chance and it bombed, there's always a record in your box that you know you can put on and aye. And, and and bring it back again. The eh? gems. The gems, aye. So as dance music slowly bringing in your eighties kind of phase, what? What was the kind of first, you know, we're, we're starting the early dance now, what what was the first things that were seeping through into your your collections then, you know? I went I went to see, I went to see New Order at Stirling University. Oh, brilliant, man. Uh, when Blue Monday was it, and they said, 
that they would never take the high road or the low road to Scotland because the gig was that violent that would never <laughs> they would never come back to Scotland. Uh, but up, up at Stirling University, there was there was brilliant. They, they used to do loads of bands at the Pathfoot. Bands like the Thompson Twins, Queen played there, Elton John in the 70s, uh, Blue Order, Spear of Destiny, mm-hmm. you know, all the kind of indie bands that were playing there. But I was moving away from Jackie Moore and I'm more into an indie thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there was things like, what, well, there was bands for Edinburgh called like the Fire Engines, the Scars, like stuff like that, David Bowie, I loved a lot of David mm-hmm. Bowie, played a lot of David Bowie used to play, there was a German version of Heroes called Van Helden. Used to, used to thought it was cool playing that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I kind of got into that, uh, Spandau Ballet, and there were 12 inch versions of these electronic things coming out as well. Yeah. So it was great to kind of mix it up a wee bit. Are you learning your trade mixing it? Are you, are you, are you beat mixing by then? Or are you still no, kind of... Nah, that's still a wee bit away, eh? mm-hmm. but I, I remember I, I, there was a there was a place in there was a place in uh, Dunfermline called Night Magic, and it was run by a big DJ agency called Bacchus, and Bacchus used to put people all over the world. Being a bit arrogant, I thought I'm going to go and get a job in Bacchus, eh? so uh, I had to go to London to to go for the interview. And I was an interview as a DJ. Uh, an interview as a DJ. Wow. Um, and it was in the city centre of London. And uh, so I went there, and when I'm in there, I, I can't mix, you know, I'm good at talking, but I'm no, I can mix a wee bit, but I can't, you know. And I lasted about five minutes in the interview, and obviously, because I couldn't mix, I didn't get the job. Nobody, the only person that could mix at that time was a guy called Shagan in Glasgow, in a place called The Warehouse. He was a guy that could do it. But I can remember for this was about five minutes in the interview, the guy says to him, I'm going to show you something. And it was a, a record by Hall and Oates called Man Eater. Mm-hmm. And he took two 12 inches and quarter cutted it. And I'd never seen that. Aye, aye. You know, it gave the echo effect. Aye, aye. And I just went, wow, how cool is that, eh? And what, can, what year is this? What we're talking about? 82. 82, fucking uh, hell. 82. And that's maybe, he's maybe coming for like a hip hop kind of cutney kind of. Thing or what? what no, she just went check this out. Aye, this and the, the other thing that the guy told me, tell me a great story about a guy. There was a, an amazing record. I think I class it as the first trance record that came out. It's a guy called Gino Sotio, dancer, um, which is a right journey. Watching early late seventies, um, and this guy who showed me how to do this. He'd been working in the CN Tower in Toronto, and uh, they're, they're a nightclub up in the CN Tower in Toronto, and uh, he was DJing, and when he was DJing, uh, this guy came up to the DJ box, and it was actually Gino Sotcho, and he says, uh, you're playing my record 2 BPM slower than what it should be. <laughs> He's just caught. <laughs> a human metronome. <laughs> <laughs> Metal. <laughs> So I was kind of trying to get into that scene, mm-hmm. but I wasn't a, I, I wasn't good enough today. Yeah. But but this time I've started going to Ibiza. Hey, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm I'm 81. I'm at Ibiza. Wow. Now the whole Ibiza thing started 87. You know, so I'm I'm kind of sniffing about there for. What, six what's, or seven what's, years. what's drawn you to Ibiza? The, 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 but 
my pal was was staying with a guy. He was Spanish, eh, and she came from Sterling. Uh, so we used to go and see them, and it was great. We used to go and see them. Back in the day, it was a bit different. Eh? Like you would take square slice sauces and a, <laughs> and a plain loaf, and you know, no eating that phone, Mark. HP sauce. You get away with that in your case, man. Eh? Couple of years later, there's other stuff you were smuggling in. <laughs> so we used to go and see them, and it was great. Eh? And you know what I learned quite early on with the, with the whole Balearic thing. I worked here in '84. Eh? That was my first year working. 84 actually DJing and DJing aye so 81, 83 I was coming and gone 84 I first year working was that back here in Scotland the place would open at 9 and shut at 1 but there it would be 9 o'clock and it was open to 5 in the morning uh-huh. and there wasn't any record shops so you couldn't buy records what I used to do would I, I would go with a box of records and sell my records and I would pay for my holiday Wow. So they, they, you know, they, they didn't. They were waiting for me to come with records. But did you have the ones that you were keeping for you to play? Of course I did. And any of your doublers I, or I, whatever? Aye, of course I did. I kept the gigs. But I, so I mean, so the the selling the records paid for like your holiday, aye. and then was you getting also like a wee wage for DJing and I, all that as well? I, I was working on a bar, eh? Uh-huh. So you're going to for like, is there seasons then or seasons? Aye, complete seasons. But so. But what, what I was trying to explain to you was, so it's between 9 and 1 in, in Scotland, what they were doing, but you were opening up at 7, 8 o'clock at night, and staying open to 4 and 5 in the morning. So you had to, not having a record shop to buy records, you had to play things like Pink Floyd, which was 11 minutes long, or Dire Straits, Money for None, or, you know, just huge long tracks, Richie Havens, or, or be whatever you... Because there was so much time to yep. fill in, so that's how Balearic Beat started. There wasn't a. It was a, through necessity. Necessity is the word exactly, aye. Aye. And a lot of people didn't realise that. Well, e- even I, I, I never, I never really thought about that way. But were you saying that? I get that. I get it. You know, like I, I get why yeah. it came about. You know, just about why how you've explained it. And it's interesting because it's it's born out of necessity. No necessarily somebody going, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit down and just play real experiment. You know, there, obviously there is a part of that, but it, it's sort of necessity, like looking for the long records to fill that yeah. long amount of time. And, and then B-sides, you're, you're delving into B-sides and B-2s and anything really, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I can, rem- I can remember one of the highlights. 87 was... 87 was Adamski was at I and I'm Amnesia in 87 with Alfredo and I mind being there that summer eh? and I can mind being there enjoying myself let's say partied out partied out aye and we're on there and we're, we're, we're getting it all day and then in the middle of the night and you've got to mind as well that at that time the clubs were open air you know they didn't have roofs on them or that they were open air Coo and stuff like that Coo, Amnesia Amnesia they're all open air eh? and uh, and then about four o'clock in the morning Alfredo plays Jimmy Nail there ain't no doubt <laughs> I'm like that. <laughs> yes! <laughs> How amazing is this one? 
Jimmy Neil ain't no doubt, man, you know. What was he thinking behind that? Did it just fit the mood? Aye, just, it's just a real three-minute perfect pop record uh-huh. that, that kind of sits in there perfectly. Uh-huh. And, you know, that was what it was all about for me, about mixing it up and being eclectic. Uh-huh. And but that, you know, like, if you are, you know, just enjoying the night, you know, like, you know, I'm sure drugs are, are, are a party, you know, alcohol's a party, it's just that, everything's a party that night. These kind of spontaneous tunes are, are you go, what? what? Oh aye. man, you know that it's just adding to the atmosphere. Exactly, sort of thing, aye, exactly. The madness of it all. Aye. Did but, you get a chance to talk to Adamski? Because he's quite an interesting cat. I used to go just about every night to come near there, eh? I was there, there all the time, eh? And I'm sure, who was the, there was an MC that was, that he'd done Adamski. Is it, I'm sure his name is like Daddy Fresh or Daddy Freddy or something like that. But the MC was the there Dreadlocks, well, eh? a big sort of guy, or am no, I like somebody else? No, this guy played with Entrance. Right, oh, I don't know. Can't mind. Played by Entrance later on, eh? but uh, I. But I mean, it was amazing just just to be there at that mm-hmm. time and and do that. But they hold a lot of years for me, you know. Like through the eighties to eighty seven was brilliant. I would I would go there in the summer, come back in the winter and do things here in the winter and go back mm-hmm. in the summer again. Eh? You're you're bringing that Balearic feel back to Scotland. Yeah, yeah, and. Again, here, here's the thing where I've, I, I always kind of, I think's mad, you know, Oakenfold and um, Danny Ramblin and who, who, these guys, was it Nicky, Can I tell you Mark, they all get credited for, for spreading the Balearic beat, right? But it's only because they were in London and access to the face and all these magazines and media hype, whereas Europe, Scotland, then this years before these guys had even been to Ibiza. I'm going to tell you a story, and and this is two people have told me this is true as well, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying it as well. Oakenfold, Ramblin, Nicky Holloway, who was on? Can't mind. Three or four of them went. There was a bar in the West End in San Antonio called the Project Bar. Scottish guys, Jamie and Kenny, used to run it. But I, at that time, I was working in a place called the Star Club. Star Club's now Eden. It's called Eden now in San Antonio. And I was working the Star DJ a couple of thousand folk a night quite easily in there. You're playing I, all night? I'm playing all night. I'm the main guy. There's another wee guy called Alfredo. Uh, Albert was his name. And he could, he could only talk three words in English. The boom de ba de boom de ba The funky music go de boom de ba De my nothing. Anyway, so the night they went to Amnesia and met with the love and got the experience, they were in the Star Club first before they before they got right on one meeting and they saw what was in the Star Club and then they went to Amnesia. Wow. And that's the story. That's true. Aye. I was DJing that night. Well, I mean, they weren't even DJing on Ireland. No, Their commuters are hot holiday makers. Mm. And you've been DJing in Ireland years before them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's amazing, man, isn't it? You know, when you start piecing things together. You know, I just think, like what we spoke about when we were, you know, doing the interview, I think it's all the satellite towns that that make the city what it is, you know? Like, all the, all the wee, everybody will go, oh, Glasgow and Edinburgh, but no, you know, there's there's much more. Everything you know, you know all the towns run about. Same way doing in London, it's not all about London. It's about all the wee towns run about that make it up. 
yeah. you know, because you're out there doing the exploring, doing the groundwork. Yeah. And then just some big guy from London comes out, oh yeah, mate, I'll have some of that. And then it's, they've invented it. Aye. It's mental, man. <laughs> That's mad. That is mad. So, getting back to Scotland and you're, you've just took that Balearic vibe and that's, that's coming in you're mixing it what what makes you think about doing like your all nighters and I mean what's what's led to I that was, I was kind of what was happening at the time so I was the, f- the first thing I done was I opened up an, uh, I helped open up a nightclub in Stirling called Rainbow Rocks which is now Dusk mm-hmm. uh, it was me to put that together and then what I was doing, I was coming in the winter, going back the summer, coming in the winter. Um, 85 was Rainbow Rocks. Um, 87 was Fubar. Help with the Fubar. Did you help get the Fubar up and running? I ran a thing called Amnesia in the Fubar, and it was rocking, man, really. When's this? Is this point. before things, the rave scenes kicked off in Scotland? Aye, oh, aye, definitely, aye, aye. Before any of that, you know, and it was Balearic Beat. Uh-huh. I came back for Amnesia that year, called Amnesia, playing incredible records. Came back with a, a box of records that were really strong and they could get a holiday, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. Um, 88, uh, I ran a restaurant, but I was doing some stuff for Tony at the time. Uh, Tony Cochran? Aye, doing wee bits and bobs. 88, I brought Tim Westwood up. Uh, 89, I ran Fat Sam's in Dundee. Uh, then 1990, I, I worked at the tunnel for a wee while. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of realised, you know, I need to do this myself. Everybody yeah. else is making money bar me. And that's how Love at the Plaza started. What what? How did you come about getting uh, the plaza as a, as a venue? How, why, you know, why did you think Glasgow was a place to do it? Is it just because you've been spending more time clubbing there or playing I, DJing? All my life I'd spent in Glasgow. I uh-huh. always went to Glasgow. I had a flat in Glasgow in Highland. Uh, I, I, I always went to Glasgow all my life. A young kid, I never went to Edinburgh, and I could then go to Edinburgh one night for a night out, and a guy says to me. Hey, Paul, was that a Ouija shirt you're wearing? <laughs> What's a Ouija shirt? A glass Ouija shirt. Aye, but what, is it? What, what does that look like? It's a bit loud, man. It's a bit loud. It's quite a loud shirt. But, uh, so it was, it, was always, it was always Glasgow for, for me. And uh, Love actually started, you know, at the plaza. Love started at Joe Paparazzi's. Uh, and it kind of... If I'd went, where, where was that? Scoops, where? Uh, near the garage. Right. Up near Socky Hall Street, sort of way. Socky Hall Street, aye. And the opening night at Joe Paparazzi's, everything was uh, was on point, the whole thing. But the, the sound system broke down and it ruined the whole night. But I, I realised it was just after the city of culture. And I knew that if I could get a late licence, I could clean up. So and I and I thought about the plaza eh, because I knew the plaza was lying empty. There was like twenty old days bench, and I was having a cup of tea and a mm-hmm. sandwich, you know, dancing away for the tea. Because it was a that. traditional ballroom. I'll tell you what was mental about the plaza, Mallorca. When we had it, there was three things happened in the day. We would get in at two o'clock in the afternoon to set the sound and light up. We had to be at by seven. Between seven and eleven was the tea dancers, the old age pensioners. Between 11 and 7 in the morning was the rave, 
and be between seven and nine you had to clear up as well because at 11 o'clock in the morning the wee kids that were disco dancers they came in so there was three different things happening uh-huh. in 24 hours over the weekends or anything no over a day oh, over a day over a day it was sensational the whole thing uh-huh. that happened there but uh, was it just lying dormant through the week and it just everything happened on a Saturday I, everything happened on a Saturday and so I went there and uh, and I thought you know, the, the, the Glasgow licence board licence trade board are really 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 fickle eh? and I thought I need to tell some big long story here to to get it and basically <laughs> did I, you know come up with like, like I did a Tony Cochran like a society of gentlemen <laughs> particles that's, that's just what I said to him like, <laughs> the, the, the plaza ballroom is the last standing ballroom in the city it's 126 years old in order for it to keep with dance culture and keep with the current trends and establish a decent roots in the city we must protect this place blah 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 Anyway, they believe me. <laughs> and I got a seven o'clock. I got a seven o'clock, okay. And uh, what was you kind of hoping for? Was you hoping to get right through? Down. That's what I was like. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> what... <laughs> but, uh, so we so we got we got the. Uh, we, we got we, we got the all, the all night license and we ran it for I don't know less than a year I think or a year but as usual it was the old uh, it was a place called Carnegie's that owned the plaza at the time and I can always mind a guy called Ricky Banner and who had done a security company he'd done my security and he says Scoop when I think of you I think of two words I'm like what's that Ricky Big Wendy's <laughs> what does that mean I says you need to explain that to me Ricky he says this is what happens hey Scoop how you doing Scoop hi Scoop in you come great to see you have a wee seat Scoop fantastic what are you up to this weather oh you're running a rave where are you doing that Scoop great a PA, where do you get the PA for? Lights, aye, and where are the lights coming from? And who's the who's the name of the bands? You give me the phone numbers of the bands. Great, thanks very much, Scoob. Boom, going date. They, they would, I tell them everything. Ah, oh, right, they're just they're just, just sucking you dry, sort of thing. So it was big windies for me, eh? But, eh, and and they got rid of me. And do you think that's what it was? You were just too open and too eager to share, or well, what they done was they got rid of. I, I, I was actually in that with Tony. Tony was my business partner, Tony Cochran, uh, and they got rid of Tony first. And what they said to me was that look, you you need to get rid of Tony. Are going to get rid of Bethes, and it was a really hard decision to do that. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to say to Tony, what, my, one of the biggest regrets in my life, mm-hmm. do that. And what was really strange was that that was '92, shit hit the fan '93, but '97, I was back in Ibiza opening up a bar called Savannah on the Strip, it's just the other side of Mambo. Uh, and Tony came over to Ibiza to see me, and he says, uh, I'm I'm going to be opening up the first lap dancing club in Stirling, in Scotland, and I'd like you to run it for me. And I said no. And that he's clean these. So I got fourteen places. Uh, aye, aye, aye. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. But, but I really appreciate what he done. Coming aye, 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 aye. He's a nice guy, Tony, isn't he, man? He's a top bloke. So going back to, we're just rewinding back to the plaza, right? Because again, there'll probably be people listening who remember. I love all nighters because they're legendary in in Glasgow, man. What what was I mean? I, my memories of the 
the ballroom. They, 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 they know I've found in the middle of the dance floor they as sure well. Did, yep. Aye, they sure did. Because I, I just remember, I, I, I actually had to think there's a man imagining this, but they did they had a fountain. I actually think they were the first all-nighters. In fact, it was the first all-nighters that I ever went to, because you would, go, you could go after. That's right, yeah, yeah. Which was, I mean, it was just a new concept because nightclubs and stuff were still closing at one, two o'clock. Yeah, and you could go after. And it. then you could go, and that's, and I, and I don't even know how I, I remember the the, the love that's just uh, the iconic sort of the banners and stuff like that, the flyers. Yeah. And I, and I think I was a big, I lived in Ayrshire, so the Metro was my club, and you would get flyers coming out. Tracy and Joanne. Aye, aye. That's right. Feel it. This and the Sullivan's crew and all Aye. that kind of stuff. You would get flyers to go up to these all nighters, but then again, you know what, what you what you seeing there in this this rave scene because you're bringing in acts. What's what's the, what's making you decide to book the the PA's? You know what music are you playing? Well, I was I was lucky because Tony Tony was my business partner, uh-huh. so he was he was on point. Um, a lot of this stuff came from London, a guy called Solomon Parker. Uh, he was an agent for Concord. Solomon Parker's mega, mega now. Mm-hmm. And I, made, I actually made a record with Solomon. He had a record label as well. Eh? Uh, so, aye, but we're on point with what we're bringing up. Like, I can mind things like having KWS and they went to... Had them on the Saturday and they were at number one on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't shoot their video there or something like that. They, they did, aye, aye, aye. aye. I can mind, I can mind another thing. This was near the plaza. I can mind booking the Prodigy and they were, had them on the Saturday and they went to number one in Charlie on the Sunday. Brilliant. You know, and that was at Network in Paisley. I can mind that. Uh-huh, aye. You know, so it was always great to. to Tony had his finger on the button. Yeah. So did Solomon. They were really good, eh? So. Uh, you're you're promoting and DJing with all these events, kind of thing. Aye. How? I mean, it's it's a lot of work. A lot of you know, like I've had I've had wee tasters here. You know, when you're promoting an event and then you're DJing later on, but you're dealing with the sound, the light, the artists. You're also maybe like telling Tony, like that's a big record for me. What about getting these guys up? Is all that? You know, it's yep, like yep. it's multifaceted. It's not just a. Yep. Cut, there's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of lot of pressure there. Yep. How are you dealing with all that kind of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I just... Uh, you laugh first. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, copious amounts of cannabis used to kind of help, you know, that was... used to smoke a lot of hash at the time, uh-huh. eh? and uh, quite a lot of time I'd just say it's cool, man. All right. Go with the flow. <laughs> See what happened? Did you... I mean... That's the thing as well, right? You've done your all-nighter. You've you've probably done a 24-hour shift. Aye, the party easily. doesn't stop there, didn't it? No, because no. that's, that's when you let go, on it? And you have the party. Aye. Once six celebrating the success. Yeah, uh, a great night. Aye. I can always mind, brought up a... Um, they're called Loved Up, came from Manchester. Aye. They brought them up a few times and uh, they were playing at Circa one night. Uh, I, 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 I'll tell you what was great as well. I went to DJ for... for for Loved Up one night in Manchester and they had a club it was on a Friday night and the club was called Hell and the posters where the city just said go to hell mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was brilliant 
But you know, the, the minute they got their, they'd finished their feed, they just got their money, carry it and drugs, you know, let's go somewhere. Uh-huh. Didn't you know anybody, they just spent their hell dough and all that, you know. And that's the way it was back then. Ah, I just put, oh, sorry, that's my phone. I need to remember to switch my phone off. Is there other sort of bands, artists, DJs that you brought up that kind of stick out for you at that time? See, I'm going <laughs> to. At the time, what the whole thing that happened there, you know, Ricky at Street Rave done really well because what Ricky did, Ricky, everybody that Ricky brought up, Ricky kept her phone number. Right. I didn't even bother to ask them what their phone number was. <laughs> if I'd kept the phone numbers, then maybe I'd have been in a strong position. <laughs> Maybe they gave you the phone number, you just <laughs> lost, just lost it. <laughs> Back pocket, eh, mother? Aye. And it was just, it was just the way it was, you know, and and I never, I think I said to you earlier on, that I always felt I was a wee bit ahead of what I was doing, you know, musically, things I was doing as well. And I never thought anything of it, you know. I didn't feel I was impressing anybody or that, I just... You're no... You're not doing it with a business mind, you're just doing it for enjoyment sort of thing. Aye. 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 Do you think, looking back, do you think you should have been a wee bit more business? Uh, or would that have spoiled the party for you? Aye. I, I can mind. I was, I had a pub at the same time that I was doing Love at the Plaza. Right. And, and, um, Where's the pub? It was in Stirling, right. yeah. It's, it's, it was, it was a place called Weedy's Bar. And I had a mate, uh, my best mate, and I says to him, look, I'm taking the plaza here. Uh, I want you to take the pub here. And I took my eye off the pub right. uh, to concentrate on love at the plaza. And it turned out that the pub went really bad. It went, went down and lost, lost a few quid, did mm-hmm. But... So I did think I was putting my eye on Love at the Plaza, be giving away the, the bar day, but it, it was just the way it worked out, and uh-huh. I, I got booted out, you know, it was very unceremoniously, the way they got rid of me as well. You aye, know, aye. So. Of, of from Love? Aye. And how often were you doing Love? Once a month. Once a month? Aye. And, and at that time... It, it wasn't just like the end of the month happened and it was a big rave. There was a lot of planning and promotion and all these up to it, isn't it? Yeah. But it got, it, it, love, love ended up really slack at the end, you know. For the first few months it was quite difficult. But the turning point for love was uh, we'd been putting PA systems, Scottish PA systems, and there was like band PA systems and just no right. They weren't really getting what we were trying to do, yeah. And then I think it was the third month we'd booked a, a PA system for Manchester called Oz PA, and they were used by the Happy Mondays. And I can always remember it's the first time I'd ever seen a sound check with white noise. Mm-hmm. And the guy's going to wow, what was what's happening there? They had never seen that before. Mm-hmm. But that PA, it was a 30k rig, yeah, and that blew the plazas was away you mm-hmm. know and that was a turning point having that great sound yeah. again there uh, so I it was great after that eh? what, what are you, you you've mentioned a couple but is there any sp- specific nights that were amazing for you you know like 
what, what even Aye. what big tracks remind you of your plaza days? I can mind. I can, there, there was what I used to love. Obviously, you had Bobby playing. Aye, I had a <laughs> Bobby. Bobby, I know, unbelievable. <laughs> I had a. I, what I, one of the favourite parts of the plaza for me would maybe be about four o'clock um, where the thing was set up and I would get a chance I always used to pick up a bat sorry AM, PM what way? PM right okay this uh, is after the sound check and I, uh, I, I would pick up a bag of records at 23rd they always kept records for me uh-huh. so you get your bag when you got your bag you felt a million dollars who who's your man for keeping your bag aside Dave Neil who Dave Neil right Colin aye so I would I would get my get my bag and I got my bag and I'm going through it all and there's a white label and I stick this thing on and right away I'm like oh, wow this is for the night this is going to be a belter and I played it and there was a thing called Transformer 2 Pacific Symphony. Oh, amazing. But it was a DJ Rishi mix, which is like, that's a really good mix. Uh-huh. It was da 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 ra, ra, yep, yep, da yep. So it's the DJ Rishi remix. Oh, this is definitely for the night, eh? And anyway, in comes for that, the band that are going to play the night, and it was Praga Khan. And I, they're introducing me to the band. This is Prague, I can't blah blah blah. I'm like, listen, mate, hang on the now. You need to hear this. This is going to rock this place. <laughs> and I and I put on uh, Transformer Two Pacific Symphony, and Patrick from Prague, I can says that's me. Is that who that is? Aye. I never knew that. Neither did I. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Oh, neither did I. Wow. Aye. Fucking hell! So, I, I've tried to book him, and he's he's really hard to get hold of. Man, he's aye. he's away on his own journey, doing his rock king and everything. Aye. Well, that's it. Wow! I always thought it was like an Italian dude or something like that. No, the, the remix is an Italian dude, but that that was who that came from. So, is Transformer to Praga Khan, or is he the DJ Rissi? Praga Khan. Aye, is he DJ Rissi or is DJ Rissi was a remix? So that would be like. Uh, Mark and his new, new record and it's a Scooby remix right 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 yeah. okay yeah. wow I fucking never knew that man so that was a big tune for you then aye and the other, the other one that means the other one that you see my, my other memory for me too was love was banging you know it was banging hard time man eh? and I came in I always used to go in the last half hour just to I used to like doing it eh, the last half hour what, what attracted you to because a lot of people would like the the start of a night the warm up if it's done right is super important to a night exactly and also the last hour is a very important part of a night and a lot of DJs will shy away for either because it takes somebody who knows what they're doing to fucking do it when it's busy it's easy for mm-hmm. me the bit I used to love all the time was the warm up was the, I loved the warm up 30 people in 9 are dancing 7 are shaking their heads that done it for me mm-hmm. that, I can mind uh, that there was I got a, I got a job in the boulevard in, in uh, Clyde Bank and uh, when I was there so when you start you're, you're DJing in a new place you get your bolts right and sorted out and I took this record with me uh, it was called Pauline Taylor Constantly Waiting uh-huh. uh, sorry I missed Right, and it was the epic mix that I took the 12 inch big long line. What a tune this is! 
and I took it and uh, I played it on the first night in my boulevard that I was there. I swear he killed me. I got booed off. <laughs> I, I got booed <laughs> off. But there's like a 30 second pause. Yeah. Anyway, six months every Saturday, Pauline Taylor, Pauline Taylor, Pauline Taylor. The last night that the boulevard shut down, it's like nine years after Pauline Taylor was getting played, Paul was still getting played in it. Because <laughs> I stuck with it. Yeah. Anyway, what I was going to say. You need when, that fearlessness, but didn't you? Aye, you've, you've got to do it. But the, the, the other great memory of what I had about uh, Love at the Plaza was doing the last half hour, and it was hardcore all night, and they were really banging, banging. And I came in one night and I went on, and the first record I played was Luther Vandross and Janet Jackson the best things in life are free but it was just so refreshing to hear that uh-huh. the place just blew up in front of my eyes man you know and it was like wow check that out amazing shall we dip in and play a couple of tracks through the plaza days then aye what are you thinking uh, I hadn't thought about that but I'll uh... what about Transformer too the DJ yep. Richie remix yep definitely aye any other bad boys uh, I've got I've got another track I'd quite like to it's, it's kind of I'd, I'd like to play it it's, it's kind of balearic aye sorry so what we, what we play a, a kind of a balearic track and then after that we'll play the Transformers too right. what's the balearic one because uh, because <laughs> that's such an important part right well you'll you only find this in in, in YouTube uh, and it was <laughs> <laughs> it's called Sacred Spirit it's called Legend and it's by a DJ called Peepy who was the DJ at Pacha for mm-hmm. years and years uh, but it's such a hard record to find the only one I think you'll hear it on is YouTube right we'll and try it's and it's absolutely potty is it mad? mental look forward to hearing it you'll love it <laughs>
from the Memphis Blues, Little Milton Campos, Jimmy Rogers, Joe Louis Walker, R.L. Burnside.
they are two amazing tracks. The that one we were just listening to there, we were talking about Sacred Spirit. I heard so many tracks that's obviously been influenced by that track. Yeah. The bass line and all that. It's, it's brilliant, man. The magic of dance music. Plaza, <laughs> Ibiza. I mean, we've not even spoke about Mambo. Mambo. And yeah. how instrumental you were to, to making... Yeah. Well, what, what happened with Mambo was... Uh, 93 was the first year I went on well. Uh, September 93, I'd lost a lot of money. and uh, I'd lost my parents' life savings as well. And that caused a trigger to to the first uh, the illnesses that I had. I've got chronic bipolar. Uh, that was the first start, that was the first trigger. And when I came out, I was in the hospital for three months and I'd lost everything. I'd lost my money, lost my cars, lost my mind, lost my flats, lost my integrity, I'd lost everything. So I'd done what I'd always do, I ran away to Ibiza. Did and you I, see that as a safe place to, to go to? I, I was just embarrassed, you know, right. I, I didn't know where to go away, I, I, I didn't, didn't want to be in Stirling. So what uh, was waiting for you in Ibiza? Just a, a mate had, had a bar and I didn't know what was ahead, eh? there was nothing waiting for me in Ibiza. So I went there and um, we used to go to a place called Café Del Mar for years and years and years. And next day it was an old cottage where an old wife used to, uh, she lived in there. And I was saying to Harvey, my mate and Carolyn, I says, she's open a bar here. Uh, and initially he was wanting to open, open up a bar and he was wanting to call it Sunset Cafe and all that. Didn't like the name, it's, it's not right. And where he was thinking about it initially was further down the coast. And what I said to him, I says, look, blue sky thinking, get the old wife to move out and buy her a house further up the road. Get that, it's the best site in the island. And, and we did. We managed to do that and and we secured Mambo. Uh, and but the pressure of what was happening there was, was too much for me as well. There was a lot of pressure getting the place ready and opening up and that. Mm -hmm. I gave it the name Mambo. Uh, and how did you come up with that? <laughs> At the time I was wearing surfwear called Mambo. Aye, because that's what it was reminds me. I was wearing loads of t-shirts, Mambo t-shirts, and Harvey I really liked it. There was a movie at the time called The Mambo Kings, mm -hmm. so we, we kind of came up with that. But it was too much pressure for me, and the bipolar was kicking in again, um, and I had to leave. Uh, and what's, what, what happens with, with like, the bipolar? What's, what's the signs? What's, yeah. what? I've got chronic bipolar. Uh -huh. I've got chronic bipolar because I've been sectioned 23 times, which is quite a lot. Uh, bipolar is a series of highs and lows, uh -huh. you know, and nine times out of ten I go high, you know, I, I struggle with pressure in any way whatsoever, I've had a couple of lows and they've, that's been horrible as well, but just ending with pressure sets me off in any mm -hmm. way at all, so I need to protect myself now if, uh, you know, pressure in any way, you know. So in the highs, what would, what oh, would happen? Oh, Richard Branson, man. Aye. Oh, at the time, definitely. I was Richard Branson. Is, but you had that's obviously been happening all through your life, and maybe helping you do these bold decisions. Is it? As you know, as uh, uh, is it, can you just this 
mega confidence kind of thing, or you know, aye, but uh, arrogance, v- verded in arrogance, to uh-huh. be honest, you know. But you know, first couple of times I didn't, I didn't reckon. I never, I, I never ever used to realise it, but I realised it now. I recognise the illness coming in now. You know, if now if something was to happen, if there's too much stress or too much pressure. You know, there's some triggers for me. One of the triggers is smoking cigarettes, believe it or not. Another one's less than six hours sleep. So if any of these things happen to me, I know that I'm gone unwell again and mm-hmm. I need to self-medicate and sort myself out. Yeah. But at the time, I, I was just... I just used to get... I used to thrive on the highs, to be honest. And what, yeah. Tell us about some... Because, again, I've read your book, and if, if anybody's listening, I, I have to say, dig out your book and get it. I read, because... Uh, it's there was bits that I was laughing at it where I shouldn't have been laughing, but you put it in a way you can't help, you know. But but then you can go. You obviously you're explaining the, the downsides as well. You know what I mean? Oh, a couple of things I can tell you about. I'm just off the cuff of my head. I mean, I was on the phone to the Samaritans for forty minutes, and the boy tell me to hang up. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry for laughing. <laughs> <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> what did you say to you? I did. <laughs> I did I help? <laughs> I could mind. Uh, You're only ready for you, man. No, uh, I couldn't. What else can I tell you? Uh, there was a point, I was in a bar. I used to have this suit, right? And this is like before everybody was kind of wearing it, right? I had a Burberry suit, a Burberry trouser and a Burberry waistcoat and a Burberry uh, duffel coat. And see when the suit came on, everybody knew I wasn't well, eh? The suit's on, that's him, he's, he's on the rampage again. Doors are shut and shots are getting down. That was all they knew, police, police scanners on here where, they, where he was and all the rest there. And I was in a pub, I was going, cracking up one day about... Can't mind if this is right or not, but there was VAT and milk or something, and I'm in a bar and I'd order a pint of milk, and they'd order, they charged two pound forty for this pint of milk, and there was vat, and I'm cracking up. How's kids meant to grow up with their chairs and vat? And they came away and took me away in a police van. Is that right? It took me away. It was that bad. It took me away in a police van. What is somebody kind of reporting you? Is it, aye, is aye. it friends are going look? He's oh, away I'm again. Reported, aye. They took me to the hospital, there's two hospitals, one's like a really nice puppy farm and one's like cold, I'd say, which is really hard. Took me to the puppy farm, opened up the back door of the van, had one look at me, taking me cold, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Must have been like slavering in my mouth and all that, you know, but... Um, but, aye, so, I can look back then and, and laugh, you know. Mm-hmm. Other things... But are, at the time when it's happening, are you, anything, no, you're not even... No. One one of the other things that which they which they used you get your section papers eh and the first thing that they write on it when you're not well well when they always used to write with mine was a uh, pressurised speech because I'm like yeah 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 you dug talking away them all the time and I always used to say pressurised speech eh but uh, and then because you used to get too much ideas and you're just firing them out aye so the last time. The last time I went no well, I just sang my head about the Masons. You know, I'd done, I'm cracking up about the Masons and no happy. I'd done a pub that was quite like a Masonic pub and that. So I went out the next day and part of Masonry, what they talk about, 
is slippers. Slippers is a thing that they talk about in masonry. So I went away and I bought a pair of slippers. And then the next day, I was in the hospital. <laughs> and I was in the hospital for three months. Jesus. And, uh, and what's terrible, when you're in the hospital, you've got to, when you come out of the hospital, your house is like what it was like when you left three months ago. That's uh-huh. a, it's a tip. You know, it's just exactly how you left it three months ago. Anyway, I came out the ho- came out the hospital, went back to the flat. It's an absolute tip. And I'm in the f- in the flat, and I opened up the fridge, and in the fridge was the slippers. <laughs> but what I'd realised was it was too hot for me to handle that night. The slippers, so I left them in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So, but you can laugh over it, eh? Uh, I mean, see, like, well, that when you're, you know, when you're sectioned and you're in these places, when when do they deem you fit to leave? Do you know yourself, or are you waiting for somebody to go? You're all right now, mate. We'll let you go. Or? You, you get a thing. You get a thing once a week called the Cardex. And that's when you see the psychiatrist, and you're trying your damnedest to be good. You know, you get out there, and then mm-hmm. one time I was in ten months out a year. Jesus, ten months. Lost all my teeth and everything. It was horrible. Eh? But uh, how did you lose your teeth? Just I don't know. It was just rotten. That the whole place was uh-huh. rotten, and I was rotten, and uh-huh. and be whatever. Eh? But you know, the car decks come. You're really wanting you to get away that week. Nah, wait till next week. Wait till next week. Is it just an interview week. sort of? Nah, doesn't last that long either. Uh-huh. But uh, so it's been ten years for that now. It's, it's, it's actually has it been ten years, ten or eleven years since that, and I managed to kind of keep away from the, mm-hmm. the illness but it ravaged me you know I was in 36 different psychiatric units section for 23 times I was locked up for 1,286 days wow which is 3 years 6 months and a week you know that, you, that you've missed I know. What, what, how you fell in your days? Yeah. No, but uh, when you were <laughs> when, when you were locked, uh, what what is a day? Fagrim. So happens in the Fagrim. August in the Fagrim. Fuck. August in the Fagrim. But is it? You know, is it? I don't know. I mean, what? I can't even get my head in it. You know. What the what what the day? Uh, I'm seeing one flew of the cuckoo's nest. That's oh, what, a party. This story's in the book. I'll share this story. I don't know if you mind this story. What they do is it's about trust at the start. And the first thing they do is that they give you 15 minutes unaccompanied time to see if you're responsible enough uh-huh. to go out and come back in 15 minutes. So I got my 15 minutes unaccompanied time. And when I was going by, when I was going to my wee walk, I passed a post office. And when I passed the post office, there was a there was a sign in the post office one day saying post office loans. And I'm like, unemployed, eh? I'm in there for a loan, eh? So I guess I, I guess I an application form. And this is mental. This is like 15 years before it happened. I tell them I was an author and I was going to write a book. But that was 15 years down the road, eh? <laughs> I just wrote this day to fill it up and I... 
and I applied for four grand to, 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 to get a loan. Anyway, they gave me the money, eh? Gave me four grand. And um, when I got the money, it was Christmas time. And I got £100 notes and I went to know the old woman in the village and put £100 notes through their, all the old dispensers, <laughs> through their doors. I thought I was rolling hood, man. Brilliant. And, uh, and then it came, they were looking for the money and I was still in the, in the, in the ward and they came to me for the money. Now the post office... <laughs> Bank loans. It's not the post office. It's the Bank of Ireland. Right. Which, for the, whatever anyway. And they came to me for the money and they couldn't get the money. So the psychiatrist wrote back to the post office saying, you must have been barking mad to give this man the money in the first place. <laughs> you need to write it off. And uh, they, they did. So I gave all the old woman the, the money. Brilliant. But... What happened, the great part of what happened at the end of it, but a year and a half after it was really cold and I was um, I was taking a dog for a walk. Uh, I was going up to a park and I put an old coat and I never had on it. I went into the poker, 15 hour quid. <laughs> right in the hand to buy a rig back <laughs> Oh, brilliant. You'd forgot about it. Forgot about it. It's usually like a whole fiver or a tenner, but Aye. 15 or <laughs> what, what, I mean, what can I, what can I years is this? Because, you know, you miss so much. Uh, you know, See, the Mambo thing, Cafe Mambo and Ibiza, it's just, it's blew up, it's worldwide. There's, it's, the bit they need to get my lord is that, see, the illness kicked in in 93 and 94. Uh-huh. But what people didn't realise is that, see, between 94 and 97, I was the happiest I was ever in my life. I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot of money. Uh-huh. My friend's dad gave me a fish van, an old fish van. I put a foot on in it. I used to go to, I used to, go to DJ at gigs and that. Uh, I started making records with Andy. I made 26 singles with Andy. I was DJing in places like Duck Bay, wee gigs here mm-hmm. and there. And I was so happy. And I met a, I met a nice lassie as well. But then some personal happened and then it all kind of turned up out for the worst. Mm-hmm. And that was from 97 to 2009. That was like 11 bad heavy years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was really struggling with that. Yeah. Going into your production side of things again, and uh, you know, like we, we can get to it. You know, like what made you go in? What, what, what was your kind of you're, you're playing music and you're going, ah, give me some of that. I can do that. What's, what's triggered that to start production? We made we made two singles. We had one signed for a club scene on the old famous fifty fifty deal. Bill Grazer's finest. You know the one. You know the one. And we got a single signed with Stress as well which was the Mix Mag label right um, and but there were four years there were four years then it, uh, and it was four opinions and it was four different opinions mm-hmm. and and I found that really difficult not difficult but I then realised I wanted to date myself mm-hmm. eh? and then the name so, and I'd worked in this place just up near Alawa and it was really hard to work with Dave he was a speed freak and 100 mile an hour and I was 100 mile an hour so it didn't really work that well but the name I thought I need to do this myself and the name that kept cropping up was Apollo um, and 
and the, the, as I said earlier, the thing that really struck me was 10 o'clock in the morning to start, uh, and I can mind... It's the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> I mind the, I mind the, the first record I made with, with Andy was I wanted to make a bagpipe record. And, uh, a dance record bagpipe? I am, a dance bagpipe record. I want to hear it later, eh? <laughs> the first record. So I had my samples, and my samples were... I had a video... Uh, the movie Highlander mm-hmm. where Sean Connery said you've done well I had the Strathclyde Police Band playing the Athol Highlanders I had Runrig singing Loch Lomond and I had a Rolling Stones drum track as well so this that, is the ammunition you're going into your Paul Studios I've never met in my life before <laughs> I've got this video and all that as well eh? so <laughs> So, so, so went in. How are you doing? Pleased to meet you. To Andy Haldane. Uh, aye, and Andy over there. What we getting here? Another roaster. I says, I've got some samples here, all right. Into the archive. Bash, bash, bash. This is a video. Can you get that? I need bother. Bang, bang, bang. And I said, I said, and I done some, I didn't realise what I was doing, but I done something really clever. I said to him, there's something I want to do here. I want to play your record and I want you to use this record like a roadmap mm-hmm. for what I've gave you the samples for. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And I understand that. And the record I gave him was Transformer 2 Pacific Symphony. Well, and as your reference. As my reference, as the roadmap. And uh, and I played it, I think it was 7 minutes and 22 seconds long or something like that. And I played the end of it and I said to him, I, I says, do, do you get what I'm talking about? I went, aye. And I went like that. <laughs> just got left. <laughs> and, he said, and he says, what are you doing? And I'm, like, I'm just going to be on your road, mate. So there's no point in me being here. <laughs> Without you want to come back. He <laughs> said, three o'clock. <laughs> So how did you spend the rest of your day in the boozle? I, I went to Rab Pass, done a bit of shopping, bit of lunch. And I swear to God, it was the one and only time ever in my life. See, when he played it back to me for the first time, the hairs went like that in the back Aye. of my neck. And I'm like, hey, I've found something here, you know. And that's how, I'm not saying it was always like that with Andy, but I, I understood sitting there Andy all the time, wasn't he? I could get me out of Andy. Yeah. The other thing I noticed, the other thing that I realised in the studio as well was that there was two sounds. If you wanted a mainstream pop record, go to Andy. If you wanted something interesting, go to Callum. You aye, know? aye, aye. So I, 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 I always used that quite a lot. Eh? Aye. There were two different sides of the coin in there. With oh. the... And that worked, that worked well for them at the studio, yeah, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how I've done it. Brilliant. So 26 tracks with Andy. It's now 36, eh? 36, Aye. wow. That's brilliant, man. And obviously, the big one that, again, I'm sure a lot of people know about it now through the BBC documentary it was out last week. And, and certainly, even like my friends who watched it, now, again, if you've not seen it, check it out. It's on the BBC iPlayer, isn't it? Yep. And it's Scoobs in the Raviers. Yep. And it's 30 minutes that you don't want to end, basically tracking your sort of journey and the bit that a lot of folk were even messaging me going I had no idea about you know that Dario G hang <laughs> so if you want to just you know talk about that and 
how all that came about? I call it the Dario scenario. <laughs> the Dario scenario. <laughs> the Dario scenario. <laughs> so we, we've been doing some, Andy and I have been doing some uh, remix work for a German company called ZYX. Mm-hmm. We've done Ramirez, Habalando, and we've done loads of things like that. Um, I made a wee bit of time, a couple of hours left before I had to get my train, and, and I thought, let's let's just uh, play about with it. And I had two ideas at the Dream Academy, and I don't know why in 1985, when I played the Dream Academy, I didn't know what an acapella was back then. Mm-hmm. I just knew there was a, a wee interesting bit in that record when I played it. Another thing that I'd, I'd, I'd remembered as well was that there was a TV cop show called Hill Street Blues, uh, and the piano was how the Hill Street Blues started. Yep, yep. So I thought, Hill Street Blues and uh, Dream Academy, let's see what we get. And we, we done it, and there was none... I got. F- I used, Would I you take? Do you take notes? Let's see all these. They're pretty outlandish, right? When you're just flinging these mad ideas about. No. How, I, how would it, are they just sticking in your mind? No, I had two darts. I had two darts. Right. That were kind of like master darts that had snippets of everything, and these things were on the darts. Right. So they were on the dart. There was kind of like darts with ideas for samples for records. What would, what would happen every record that I made for Aunt, Andy or Callum I used to put it in my shaving bag mm-hmm. the, the, I put the dart in my shaving bag and I had a shaving bag full of darts which were a, you didn't know what one was what what was what be whatever eh anyway I gave Colin Tevendale the the, the the shaving bag for darts one day Colin was a big 80s guy, eh? and I mean, a, a guy with integrity and cool and calm. Oh, such a cool guy, man. Great guy, eh? And an amazing DJ yeah. mixer. You know, I think he's one of the most technical yeah. mixers Scotland's produced. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a great story about, about that. Is, um, I done a record in 96 called Beautiful and Balanced, first picture of you. And um, Colin was working on 23rd at the time. You remixed that? No, the I made it. First picture of you? Aye, that was me, aye. What is it? Aye. The, the one first picture of... Is aye, that the dance version, aye. Aye. Fucking aye. hell, brilliant. Because I, I loved I love the actual aye. original. Aye. So, Colin was working on 23rd at the time. And uh, when he... That's, he said everybody used to come in all the time with, like, top 20s out of the DJ mag. It was Open Folk's top 20. But they tried to be cool and make it as if it, they knew it wasn't the Open Folk. Mm-hmm. So, oh, have you got this, have you got that and that. And uh, the guy's asking for all these open, open full records and that. And he went, uh, if you go uh, beautiful and balanced, first picture of you. Comes like, ah, how have I? He said, uh, Colin says, by the way, that's my mate that made that. The guy went, oh, aye, where's he come from? Colin says, Sterling. He says, just take it black, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Musical snobbery at its um, finest, there. So the Darius scenario, Colin, Colin found the dart. Uh, in the shaving box. What, was he just listening through your ideas and stuff like that? He was a good pal, Colin, you know, I'd had a lot of time for him, eh? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he found it, and uh, he got an acetate cup. He, 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 he really liked it. Of the, 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 the mix that you and Andy, Andy had done? Aye. And the, the mix that Andy Did you not even know he'd done an acetate? Did he just... No, I did, I. Right. He, he told me he was getting an acetate done. And in the documentary, the shows you a Gala record getting played on the on the on, on the turntable that's the original record that Andy and I done 
that's your version of it. It's different for Dario G. Uh-huh. And not only is it a yellow record, if you look in the middle of it, there's a big sticker with a sun on it as well. Mm-hmm. Sunshine, sunshine. Uh-huh. But anyway. anyway, Colin got an acetate cut which is a one-off pressing that only he would use and he had the exclusivity on the track and he was caning it at the boulevard and the tunnel and it was going really well. So I was going to Ibiza and I'd just finished doing a, an album, a compilation album as well for Virgin, for Cafe Mambo. So Was that the first? first very first Cafe Mambo, I Wow, didn't so, even know that either, man. So done what, that. what was in that? What gives, what's that? What? It was a triple pack CD with everything in it. Brilliant. Absolutely everything in it. Like covered sunset mixes everything. and all sorts. And, and that year's fresh records, uh-huh. things like Ultranati and all that in it as well. Brilliant. Um, they, they, they were great. It was great for Mambo to be with Virgin because it was a Virgin company. You know, Virgin sent things like a thousand sarongs there, 500 beach bags, 500 free CDs. Um, and so I was doing that uh, and Colin had got this acetate cut and what I'd done was I'd cut 500 in my version of Dario G took it to the island no took 200 to the island and left 300 with Barry Fraser to sell here so I got rid of my 200 but uh, Javi from Mambo got all the DJs in for the island and we gave them out uh, but it wasn't the Dario G side I was interested in. I'd cut this other thing called Ibiza Cultura, and that was what I really wanted to work. But it was like 15 songs all stuck together in six minutes. Mm-hmm. It was just a mental thing. Yeah. Right, right. Too mental, to be honest. And it had a joke on it. The, 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 the start of the, when you when you turn the when you you line up the cue the, the the record. The first thing you hear is, "What do you do when you see a spaceman?" I don't know. Parking it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm telling jokes on records, man. I'm telling jokes on records and everything. Oh, unbelievable. I don't know where my head was when I think about this. <laughs> so anyway, Ibiza Cultura was the side I wanted to, to be successful. And Dario G was just a, a, an afterthought in the back here. What was, what was that track called? The... It wasn't the Jack Darrell G, it was. What's it? It's, I don't know what they called it, it was an afterthought. <laughs> so they don't have a name, you know? Was it just some, a, some folk called it Northern Tune, some uh-huh. called it Yale, it's under YouTube as Sunshine DJ Scooby, I don't uh-huh. know what it's called. Anyway, you just never had a work, working title for it, was it? Because it was all about the A side, uh-huh. was, it was Aye. put on as a bead, no, it was an afterthought, eh? So we got rid of the 300 in, in, in Ibiza and Barry got 300 here and within three days he'd sell it all out. Uh, they were on the vans for a mattle and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's where the conspiracy starts. A the they were in charge of it and the guy that owns a his name was Mario. And I'm sitting saying Mario and Dario. It's kind of ringing a bell. Mm-hmm. And and the guy, Paul Spencer, that did Dario G, he worked for a matter too, eh? So that's where the link was. The links, yeah. Right. So, anyway. And for anybody who doesn't know, a matter was a distributor that would that's take right. the 12-inch records and so get them like, yeah. to all the independent right. shops and main shops. Yeah. So within three days, they sold it and they were looking for more. 
and then they played in Radio 1, my version. And then it started a bidding war between Pete Tong and Warner Brothers. They were looking for the record, looking for the record. Are you in Ibiza oblivious to this is happening? No, Barry's phoning me every other day. Right. I'm saying manana. I'm too busy having a great time here. No, you're all right. Chill out, man. Blah, blah, blah. Are, are you in the flight uh, another episode? Or where are you mentally when during this is happening? I'm, I'm having the time of my life. Right. You enjoy yourself. You're going to love this one. You're not going to believe this. This is mental. So I kind of had a bit of, we have a wee bit of fracas. And to be honest, I, I kept, we got an advance for the Virgin deal. And um, I kept the money because mm-hmm. it didn't work out what we were going to do. And I was there for the summer. So I was looking for somewhere to stay. Was Mambo, an in, sorry for interrupting, was that an instant hit for the opening night? Boom. No, it took a few took months. A, took a while to and, pick up. Yeah, and so that was '94. Uh-huh. So, we've kind of, uh, so I'm sitting with ninety day and not going to know what I'm going to do. So I've kept the money, the advance money, uh, and I regret doing that to be honest. But I had to find somebody to sign. So ten minutes up for the house of the madness, you're in the middle of nowhere, and I found this place called Casa Dacha. Now there's two places in the island to stay that's official. One of them's called Pikes, where the Club Tropicana video was filmed. Mm-hmm. And the unofficial place up that way is called Casa Dacha. And it's like 200 quid a night to, to, play, to stay up there. Yeah. It's Granger with telephone numbers, it's fortunes, man, uh-huh. to stay up there. And I've chapped the boy's door, eh? A big guy, <laughs> German guy called Horst. <laughs> you know what? I'm looking for somewhere to stay. I didn't know how much it was or that, eh? He says, oh, aye. He says, how long do you want to stay for? I says, uh, I'm going to stay for the hell of the season. And he liked the bookies, this boy. He likes mm-hmm. a punt that, but he'd need money that day. And I'm like, so that was three months, eh? Two and a quid a night times three months. He says, how long do you want to stay for? I went, the hell of the season. He's like, give me 1,200 quid. I'm like, I boil. <laughs> That's six days worth of money. So I gave him the 1,200 quid and I stayed up there. And then, on top of that, this young English guy came and he had a jag, but he couldn't afford to run the jag. So I says, I'll give you 100 quid a month for your motor. And I, to rent it? To rent your motor off you as well, eh? So I've rented his motor off. <laughs> I've rented his motor off him. I'm running about doing not absolutely nothing. Running about that dragon stayed up in Casa Dacha. And they're all like that. This is the best bits. So, so when it came here, I had to come back to had to come back to London, the Clinton's the lawyers, to they were you two's lawyers to fight Warner Brothers, eh? But you're only gonna get four or five letters out of Clinton's before you run out of money. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers are flying a lot of money at him. And the night before, there's two types of people on the island. There's the workers that know everything, and there's the tourists that know nothing. Mm-hmm. And so the night before, I'm doing it mambo, and one of the workers, I'm telling them, I'm away tomorrow. Um, I'm heading back to, to to the UK. It's like, you can't go. I'm like, what do you mean I can't? What, what, what are we all going to do if you go? You can't go. I mean, what do you mean, like? You know the main drug dealer in the island? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was mental. And what year was that? Just a rumour? <laughs> <laughs> I was just having a great time, man. But, uh, so, aye, so 
Barry O'G, the, the record came out between Pete Tong and Warner Brothers were phoning Barry, Barry was phoning me I just kept saying my nana and why, but why are you saying that? Why are you telling, are you just going I can't be bothered dealing with this or you didn't want to deal with it or did you think you were too good to deal with it or what's your thought process? I was having a time in my life <laughs> I was going sailing every day, I was on a sailing boat every day, Brilliant. I was having Argentinian barbecues every night on a better spot, my mate stayed. There's Cafe Del Mar in Mambo. There's a block of flats, and he stayed in a thing called the Attico, which was right at the very top, where the best view out of all of them, mm -hmm. with a huge barbecue on it, making Argentinian barbecues every night, just sailing, driving a jag, snapping <laughs> bugs. I was DJing for an hour and getting 600 quid for an hour's work. I didn't want to come in, man. I was quite happy. I was quite happy. There was nothing dragging me back to That's no, quite no, no even a major record deal. <laughs> anyway, in hindsight, I wish Daddy G were the very best. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what was strange, it was up in the food bar a couple of months ago, eh? I'm face turning, eh? me and Gary, Gary wrote the book, we, 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 before the book came out, we know, we know we Tracy has got up there, eh? mm -hmm. and I uh, thought we'll give him the book to see what, what, see what he thinks, eh? Oh, he wasn't. He, was, he didn't even take the book, eh? he was really uncomfortable about it. Eh? How was he playing at the... He playing at the food bar. Mm -hmm. But I mean, again, just to... To explain what, what happened, so they couldn't get hold of you. Oh, they were trying to get a hold of I, me through Barry. And you, you were just like, I'll speak to you tomorrow. The morrow never came. No. And then they've took your track and just went to Daryl G. Do something like that, mate, for us. Aye. That's I, never, basically, I never had the copyright. Uh huh. Because it, it was a sample. It was, it was Warner Brothers had the copyright and Warner Brothers brought it out. Uh huh. So they owned the copyright. They just went and somebody tidied it up. But they did offer me a point on the record which I would have got 80 grand for if I'd taken as a thank you for the idea the, the so they even did recognise that it was I, no they offered me a point on the record eh, but I came back like no compromise my integrity uh -huh. <laughs> they're like they are <laughs> fucking I'm not getting bothered with a point <laughs> go if we done <laughs> oh man but, uh, and so you, was there a legal battle as well? Did you raise legal action Four towards Four or five them? letters, but I couldn't afford ah, it. Yeah, it's just sure crazy, isn't it? Around, no. And they were Warner Brothers. The mighty Warner Brothers have no chance against fighting. Ah, it's, that's just organised. I think it made £5.5 .5 million pounds or something like that. I mean, it was just in every TV show, every compilation. And, and that's just all came for just one of your ideas. Or... or <laughs> <laughs> streaming so many things together Hill Street Blues and that that sample and listening back to the two did they they took obviously the idea of the sample but did, did they take the sort of other elements like Hill Street Blues elements they did, aye. with the, the piano the stuff there, aye. I got a musicologist report that said it was very similar not enough to be but I mean what they done was really polished and very slick mm -hmm. I mean what we done was rough it was only done in two years but it was just banging it was really banging eh? mm -hmm. unbelievable can we cut and play that if you want aye your, your original version or you go to where you I don't know I'll tell you Oh, can we play a couple of your productions? Hi. 
never come so far I knew I'd seen it all before Tall buildings Reach up in vain Tinsel towers in the rain I know now Love was so exciting Tinsel town in the rain All men and women Here we are Caught up in this big rhythm Here we are Caught up in this big rhythm
been great hearing some of your productions there. Tinseltown in the Rain, a, 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 an absolute favourite of mine. And like we were saying, listening to it, there's some tracks you just don't cover. Yeah. But your man's done a version out there and yeah. the tracks there to support it. It was a big decision to do that because, as, as we, were, we were talking, uh, it's some things you just didn't do at all, uh, and and that's definitely one that it's a really cherished record for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I think Tom Tom Yuri, who who used to be Bob in River City, he's he's really done that justice. I'm really proud of that track as yep. well, eh? uh, and it's, it's a sin nobody's heard it <laughs> <laughs> until now. Until now. Even, I mean, the other, we were flicking through some tracks there, some of the downbeat stuff, wouldn't they go amiss on some like the Mambo compilations, the new, and, and, and that kind of, you know, I, I'm, I can definitely hear the Ibiza influences and yeah, the, the eclecticness yeah. of it all, and, yeah. you know, you could be sitting, sipping a, you know, you don't drink now, but sipping an orange juice and watching the sun go down, you know? Sipping down Racky and a ship called <laughs> Dignity. <laughs> So you've you, you've you've really had had some some you faced you faced your demons, man. You've fought them and you've won. <laughs> aye, aye, it's been uh, it's not been easy, and I think that you know it's been ten years now. I've been well, which is it's every day is not easy. You know, and you've got to, you've got to, I'm not sitting. Watching daytime telly every day, and I'm trying mm-hmm. to trying to have purpose and structure. Today, coming here today is giving me purpose and structure, which is great. And I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, what I do know is that quite a key part of what's kept me well now is my philosophy that I believe in, you know, and I practice Buddhism, and uh, that's really maintaining the big thing right now in mental health and schools is a thing called mindfulness mm-hmm. they, sh- they shouldn't call it mindfulness they should call it mind emptiness because there's no meant to be in your mind when you practice mindfulness right right so, so it should be mind emptiness but uh, and basically that was that was written by a buddhist uh and the old Buddhism seems to be working. It's horses for courses for work for people, mm-hmm. and it's kept me at the hospital for 10 years, so quite happy. Yep. How, I mean, how do you... I mean, we're coming to a point where people are... no is ashamed and don't shun away from talking about mental illness. Yeah. You know, especially in men. If you've... You know, it, it was always you know, the black dog, wasn't it? You just... Yeah. It's hard talking about it or whatever. How is somebody who has affected your life in, in such a big way? How do you feel things are new when you're seeing? I think I don't know. Is embrace the wrong word? Where people are a wee bit more open and understanding. No, uh, already, mate. Ah, yes. I mean, when all the years ago, you know, when it when it happened to me, people didn't understand it. They didn't understand mental health, mental illness. They didn't understand what was happening to the person and they didn't understand it themselves. So it's really difficult. But it's, now it's becoming more prevalent to people. People are talking about it like you're saying and that, which is a good thing. But it's not an easy thing to live through. And the other thing I would say, not only is it not easy for the person, it's not easy for the family as well. Mm-hmm. Especially the first time it happened you, you didn't quite get what, what it is. Eh? Yep. But... Uh, I'm a seasoned pro at it, no, so. See, this is the thing, you know, like, 
and again going back to like your book and even like we're joking about it today these are like heavy things man you know and you're at a point where you can have a laugh about it <laughs> is that helping that's that's obviously helping you deal with it yeah I think I think I'm I wasn't always an open book I'm an open book now and what what I know is as well now is that by sharing my story if I can help anybody be be talking about it or, or, or just just to be of assistance to anyone in any way at all I, I don't mind sharing my story you know, I've been doing it for a long time now that's mm-hmm. part of part of who I am yeah. you know one of the things I do is I go into schools and I talk to kids about drugs with the police um, I've been doing that for six years. Um, I, I gave a te- I gave a, a talk in a wellness tent at a festival a couple of weeks ago, and and I know it's making a difference to people. Uh, so I'm more than happy to do it. Mm-hmm. it. I get as much out of it as what other people do as yep, well. Yep. And if I know, it's like when I talk to the kids at the school. If I can make a difference to one kid, I know that sounds cliched, but I genuinely mean that. Mm-hmm. If I make a difference to one kid, then that, that day, it's been worth my while getting it that day to day. Aye, 100%, man. Yeah. What, what was the sort of, what was the path that led you to putting your journey into a book? How did that come about? <laughs> well, this is a belter. You're going to love this, man. Go to the same cafe every day in, in Bannerburn for my breakfast. Uh, and my partner, she was going to Glasgow that day. So I ran her into the train stations on a Saturday. And I went to a different cafe. And the reason I went to a different cafe was they made scrambled egg in a pot, not the microwave. You've <laughs> 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 so, so done a bit of research then. <laughs> I, I, went, I went to that cafe. And I'm the only guy in the cafe. And I'm sitting reading the daily record. And when I'm sitting in the Daily Record, in walks this guy, and he says to me, uh, is that a Daily Record you're reading? And I was a bit flippant, and I went, I ah, same old rubbish, mate, innit, eh? He says, is that the restaurant review that you're reading? And I said, aye, it is, but it's not as good as since Tam Cowan left about a year and a half ago. So the guy ordered a coffee, and he sat next to me, and there's only him and me in the restaurant, and I'm reading down the end of the, the, the restaurant review, and at the bottom of the restaurant review, there's a photo of the guy that's sitting next door to me. <laughs> <laughs> the guy that wrote the restaurant review. <laughs> guy called Gary Ralston. And it's strange what they say in Buddhism, they say there's no such thing as a coincidence, and that wasn't a coincidence. So I'm on the back foot by this time saying, Really sorry, I didn't mean to say that, and I'm trying to apologise. Anyway, I was quite a bit of a foodie. Used to eat quite a lot. We're talking about different places, and uh, so we were talking about there's somebody that we knew, a guy called Shads. He knew I knew. And we're talking about Shads, and I phoned up Shads. I was going to blag a, a meal at the Daily Record, eh? so I phoned up Shads. Shads phoned him, says Scooby's been on the phone looking for you. Gary's no face that he's, he's stays in Sterling, but he's no face Sterling originally. Gary's like, who's Scooby? Chad's like, it's worth a dinner. Just <laughs> definitely worth a dinner. Take him out for dinner. So we went and we went, we, we done our first restaurant review at the Bridge Street Kitchen in Dollar, and it got 28 or 30, which was great. And for about, so the two of you sitting down having a meal, then reviewing the Daily Records Pine, right? Which was great. But what was brilliant through the whole thing. That's what he done. That was part of his job was to do reviews for the, the Daily Record. But what year is this? 
this is four or five years ago. Right, okay. And every time we went away to, to do a review, I would tell him a wee bit more about my life and a wee bit more. But what was great about it, I got to go twice as much as everybody else. Because one week I was Scooby and the next week I was Stuart. <laughs> <laughs> so I went twice as much as everybody else. And he was just getting wee snippets. And then he said, look, what I'll do now, the whole... <laughs> The whole thing, the idea of the book wasn't going to be that book. But look, what I was going to do before writing this book with Gary, I was going to go to a hundred places in Scotland and have soup and a sandwich and write a book about soups and sandwiches. That's, <laughs> that's what the book was going to be about. But I ended up with Gary doing the restaurant reviews and Gary said, uh, look, what I'll do is I'll write you a chapter for your for your Christmas but he'd already known that he was going to do the book eh? without telling you I kind of made his mind up he he thought there was a real interest in the story so what we'd done what I'd done was uh, and this was amazing uh, I'd bought a tape recorder and I'd bought 40 C90 cassettes and I bought a Polaroid camera and I went and done it analogue. I went everywhere and done it analogue. I mm-hmm. didn't want to do digital. Uh, so I, I went to 40 people that were quite important in my life. And I sat down with the tape recorder and just interviewed them. Eh? And, but I'd done something that was really clever as well, which I didn't quite realise, was I'd bought four black and reds, uh, which are like journals. And I made them 70s, 80s, 90s, and 90s. So, for example... Guy I went to see was a guy called Gary Neal and I interviewed him. When did I meet you? 1985. 1985, Rainbow Rocks opened up and Steve Strange came to open up Rainbow Rocks. So we then go back once we'd done the interview and go back here to the tapes. I asked a called Janice Wilson to help me with that as well. And what we were then were following down the journals of what was happening. But unconsciously, what we didn't realise that through what we were doing with that and putting it in the journals, the book was writing itself in chronological order. Mm-hmm. So by the end of the tapes, all the work was done. Uh-huh. But we didn't realise we were doing that. Aye, aye, aye. You know, so what, what, writing down the music and what you were all doing at that point in time? And ever and the least wee thing, you know, the, the, the least wee thing that meant interest of that. Mm-hmm. So it was all written down. The stuff was taken for the tape and put into the journals. And then for the journals, by the end of the tapes, all the... All the, all the other stuff was in the journals. Then what would happen, it was in chronological order. Gary, would, it was all very disciplined. Mm-hmm. It was three days a week uh, working with Janice on the on the tapes. It was one night a week at Gary's where it would be, I would go to his house at quarter past eight, at uh, eight o'clock exactly. I couldn't talk about anything. I couldn't, um, I thought the only thing I could talk about was what he would give me my homework on. I would leave him at quarter past nine. Couldn't wait about for a cup of tea or that. So it was really, really disciplined what we were doing. And by the end, I would wrote this book and it was, it was amazing to do it, you know. Aye. What did it feel like reading a book about your life? You reading a book about your there's, life there's, there's some parts that, that, that I struggle with when I read it there's, the last three chapters are, are quite hard you know and there's, there's, there's some lines that I really struggle with you know mm-hmm. but that's just where I'm at you know and, and the law, I'll always struggle with the lines mm-hmm. uh, but on the whole you know what and, I, and I'm not being 
I just can't. When I read what what it's like, it's my legacy. You know, mm-hmm. I left a legacy, and, then, and I didn't I, until we wrote it all. I was quite doing. I didn't quite realise I'd done all that to be honest. Mm-hmm. But now I see it and, and read it how it is. It's great. It's had fifty five five star reviews on Amazon. Brilliant. Yeah. And it. I mean, I, I, I what I love watching documentaries about music. I love reading biographies, autobiographies, and all that. And when that came up, although I didn't know you, I'd heard wee snippets here and there for like people we both are friends with and yeah. folk in the scene and stuff like that. So it was great to kind of hear your story coming for you, no like Chinese whispers. Yeah, you know, like back in the day, and I, I'd hear things like. Yeah, the bad guy Scooby. He's, he's lost. He's lost it. Too much acid, or he's done this. And I'm going. What's this guy about? What's what's is he? What's what's he mad? Is he? You know what? What's happened here? I don't know. But you just get these wee snippets. It was just great to get your story by you. Yeah. No, like some another DJ gone. Yeah, you know, like, you heard this or whatever kind of thing. You know, Aye. I was I was getting like the full kind of story. Aye. And what we'd done with the, the, other, the other thing, it was, it was a soft book. We could have taken pot shots at a lot of people, mm-hmm. to be honest, but we didn't do that. Gary's a journalist of 30 years. He understands the libel law, the whole thing, you know. It's quite soft. Because it, it, it can be and is a cruel industry, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there's loads of horror stories there, sort of thing, but I like it. It'd have been a different kind of book, wouldn't it? Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe that's part two. Really, I'm really proud of it. I, I think it's been great, and I think the the last three chapters shows that you can turn it a bit, you know. Uh-huh. And, and that's really important. That it's, I've came such a long way from what I was to to what I am now. Yeah. And, and it's you know for me it was about seeing the people. There's hope for everybody. Yeah. You know if I can be to where I was and I can turn it a bit. And still have a smile on my face, mm-hmm. and then there's hope for everybody, really. Yeah. Ah, that's it, man. And how did the how, how did the documentary come about? Did, <laughs> did the guy David read your book, or no? Uh, did you meet uh, him uh, in a cafe? And <laughs> <laughs> no, Ga- Gary had about a year before I met Gary. Gary, Gary, being a sports reporter for the Daily Record, uh, he he was sent to with a record to America to a guy called Graham Albury who was a cyclist mm-hmm. an Olympic cyclist he was going to do a thing called Battle Mountain where it's today with cycling to, he was going to break the world record for it and the record had sent Gary to go and check this anyway when he was at Battle Mountain with Graham Albury he met this guy who makes films a guy called David Street he was there filming the Battle Mountain for for, uh, for Graham Albury and Gary got pally with him and he's in Battle Mountain a wee bit and he'd remain pals with him and I used to sometimes see Gary talking to himself you know when we were out or they're telling him a wee bit mayor or showing him some of the stuff for the homework and that and he would say this should be a documentary this should be a documentary and I, I never thought that mm-hmm. yeah. and what was mental was that two years ago to the day that the documentary went out on the telly exactly two years ago to the day was the first day 
that I met the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, and it came out on on that day that I met him, eh? and when Gary was telling him the story, the, the filmmaker's like, "This is bullshit. It's going to be bullshit." He just wasn't believing. <laughs> believing anyhow. But the more he, he got to know, uh, and he was, <laughs> he was sensational. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we got to, we, we got to make the documentary. We went to Ibiza, done a wee bit in Ibiza. Uh, and uh, so it was great. And to, to, to meet yourself for the mm-hmm. first time, uh, it was great to do that as well. And, and I've just been feel really blessed and, I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't got a Scooby what's going to happen next, to be honest. We'll just need to wait and see. But you must have had some great feedback for, you know, I would, as, as are people, your book and the documentary, people will be coming out your past that you've maybe not seen for years or spoke to and they're just like, it was great to hear about or read yeah. about. Is that, is that happening? Uh, the response has been amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, really good. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm just... There's a thing in my philosophy. It's about trusting in the universe, you know, and just putting it out there and see what's going to happen next, and that's all I can do. Really. Mm-hmm. It feels the last ten years, my, you know, if I think about where ten years ago I was locked up in a psychiatric unit, and in ten years. Seven years ago, I went back into the, the recording studio with Andy, you know, and that was a huge thing for me to do. And everybody was shitting themselves when, when that happened. Because you were saying you'd might trigger you. So, seven years ago, I done that. We started writing the book. We've done a documentary. I've done a festival two weeks ago. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I just know it will be in the universe and. Something's going to happen. You're enjoying the ride. We're enjoying the ride. I suppose we've got to give props as well to to Paul Martin, Double Vision, oh, who, who yeah. had, had the, the video <laughs> exactly, footage, yeah. the evidence. Aye. Aye. It was what I, I was actually saying to Paul. I spoke to him the other day, and I said it was great finding, you know, like seeing the pictures of you at that time DJ and jumping about the crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and and it, Paul was saying it, it really spent a lot of time. Digging through his footage That's to find right, on yeah. him. Yeah, he did. He basically, I remember you should tell the story how Paul started it. Aye, it was a great story. I didn't, I didn't know this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Paul was a status quo fan and he went the, the, the pre- previous summer to the first love at the plaza. He went on holiday to Tenerife or something. He bought a video camera, just a wee tiny handheld video camera. But he heard there was a rave coming up uh, and he wanted to see what that was all about. And we bought four flight cases, which uh, and he racked up at the door of the plaza with his wee handheld camera and a and a big massive carry and the rest of the flight <laughs> cases. <laughs> and he filmed all the plazas and uh, that was the start of his career, really. Uh-huh. And it great. was, man. And the, a lot of it is shown, and it's great seeing the footage for, for back then. It's you know it's the closest thing we'll get to time traveling, isn't it? But you know what? Honestly, and I was trying to explain this to Paul Malorca, what he's sitting on there is dynamite. Oh, aye. Because nobody else has got aye. it. It's the history of Scottish dance exactly. music. Exactly, exactly. And as the years go by, it's only going to get more valuable. Yeah. What I like about it, and what I like about all Paul's videos, is he just, he never went in to film the advertisement. He just went in and became one of the ravers and filmed the night as it that's happened. That's right, that's right. And if you watch 
his stuff, the stuff, you know, he's got, he's not just got 30 minutes of a night, he's got four, five, six hours, seven hours of a night. He's there from the start to the finish. By the way. Till the drink runs out and he's kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, it's been absolutely amazing talking to you, Scoobs, man. It really has. Ah, oh, pleasure, man. Um, and should we finish with maybe some of the newer stuff that you're... Aye. Um, is there a couple of tracks that you'd like to play? Or aye, there's, there's two. There's, there's a thing, the first thing I'd like to play... It's, it's a wee project that we're doing now, it's called Leap of Faith and it's called 38.98, that's the name of the track. 38.98 uh, is the coordinates for Ibiza on the world map. Brilliant. So it's dead laid back and uh, then the second thing's called The Sound of Coup. Coup was, a, what, what, uh, Coup was a nightclub in Ibiza years and years ago and uh, it's dead 70s disco. So it's, it's two different styles, but really nice. So Ibiza is still very much on your influence and radar. Season finishes the 13th of October. Uh, I'm going the 16th of October. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gone for five days once it's finished. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> well, I wish you all the best in your, your journey, man. Oh, pleasure, And man. thanks again for talking to us. Stay gliding. <laughs> <laughs>
Your old school show.